This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome to the program. We'll begin today's show with some breaking news as reported by Elliot Friedman about 30 seconds ago uh, as it was uh, as it was happening. It appears that Kyle Dubas will not return as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We will get to last night's game one between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers, but uh, this bit of news is huge. Uh, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada joins me now. Frage, uh, what can you tell us? The very latest, Dubas out as GM in Toronto. Yeah, this is still developing, uh, Jeff. Um, I don't have a great I, – like, I don't want to guess. I, I've been working on this yeah. for, for a couple hours, and there's been with some conflicting information. So I worded my tweet a certain way, will not be back as GM of Toronto. I'm trying to figure out exactly what happened at the end and kind of the way it all uh, – the kind of the way it all went down. Um, but I, I'm still lacking a few details. But I, I know that he will not be back, and uh, and the Maple Leafs will have, uh, I guess, a new GM next year. So hang on to, to clarify, because a lot of this will be, and you know, to your point about uh, from the the wording in the tweet being very specific. Is that to say he's done with the organization, or he's done with that position? Jeff, why are you trying to trap me? I like I've only confirmed this like five minutes ago. I don't have I, I don't have great okay. answers on this yet. Like I I I right. really I really don't. I wasn't, yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure because I think I think yeah. in, in situations like this, you know how much of it is always um, always semantics. Okay, so so that is. Uh, the new lead story of the day, there is a game one tonight in the Western Conference, game one yesterday in the Eastern Conference, but the very latest, um, according to the man who broke the story, Elliot Friedman, with us right now, it appears that Kyle Dubas uh, will not return as general manager well, of the Toronto Maple Leafs next season. Jeff, let's just say, it's not that it, uh, let's just be, he, it's not that it appears he won't be back uh, as GM. I don't, okay. I don't think he's going to be back in the organization, but... Like I said, I don't know that for sure. Um, I think what, what we don't really know at this point in time is if uh, it was their decision or his decision. Um, I think that uh, it was, you know, this. Let, let me just go back through the timeline as I understand it. Because I've, like okay. a lot of reporters, I spent a lot of time this week trying to um, figure this out. And basically, I think that during, late in the season, the Maple Leafs went to Dubas and said, look, you've done uh, a really good job here, and uh, we want to talk about uh, an extension. And, like, they went to him, and I think he was willing, and and so they continued working towards it, and they were on the precipice of getting it done. Now, I think one of the things here, and I think, and I don't know if it was miscommunication or exactly what happened and I, I, like I, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you where I think this kind of went off the rails a little bit this week. And that is that I believe that Kyle Dubas's plan and something he always said was, at the end of the season, I'm going to sit down with my family and I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk with them about how they feel. And he told them that. And I think they understood that. But as the, as the negotiations and the conversations continued, I just think that um, MLSE kind of just thought that this is all going to work out. 
We're getting closer. We don't have any reason to believe that this won't get done, especially as they continued in the playoffs. And then, like, I don't, like, like, I don't know if they felt that they didn't have proper understanding of the gravity of how his family felt or anything like that, or they felt it wasn't communicated to them properly. I don't know what the answer is. But I believe that Dubas had always said, this is going to be pending a conversation with my family when the season's over. And so he had finally, they got knocked out on Friday. He had the conversation with his family. We all now know publicly what happened. And I think the Maple Leafs were surprised in the sense that their kind of position was, if we're going to work this far on it, then we assumed everything was okay. And I don't know if they, the right words they didn't like they found out that late or they were surprised they found out that late. Whatever the case was, mm-hmm. they, they found out late. And, like, Dubas was in all week. He did the exit interviews. Um, I think he was there. Like, he, it wasn't like he was away from the office. And I, I think some people thought that that was a good sign. But obviously we are where we are today. Okay, so the Maple Leafs just made this official. I'll read this to you. This is from the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs moments ago. Brendan Shanahan, president and alternate governor of the Toronto Maple Leafs, announced today that the club has decided to part ways with general manager Kyle Dubas. Dubas's contract is set to expire on June 30th, and he will not return as Toronto's general manager next season. Quote, I would like to thank Kyle for his unwavering dedication over, the last, over these last nine seasons with the organization, including the last five, as general manager. Kyle fostered a great culture within our dressing room and staff and consistently pushed to make our team better season over season. We wish Kyle and his family the best moving forward and thank him for his valuable contributions. Going back to that first paragraph, the club has decided to part ways with general manager Kyle Dubas. Do you think this was a, 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 a matter of we need to know by a certain time and perhaps Dubas wasn't ready at that point to make a decision? Uh, I don't know that. I think, you know, Shanahan's going to talk today, so we'll hear what he's got to say. And uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll hear what... But... You know, it says to me that this was as much a club decision as much as it was Dubas's decision. Yes. You know, one of the Absolutely. things we kind of, of the... one of the things we kind of wondered about this week, Jeff, was was this going to be a situation where um, we got to a point where the team was going to say, "Hey, like, and like this is really like I don't like talking about this kind of stuff because I don't like talking about people's families. I don't think." Like you, you and people like you and me, Jeff, we sign up for this. We know the rules going in and we know that if we make a mistake or we say something stupid, we're public figures and we have to deal with that. That's the trade-off. We, it's like Hyman Roth from Godfather 2. Like this is the business we've chosen. But our, our families yep. don't necessarily sign up for that. And so, so uh, yes. Um, so like... Uh, that's kind of what happens here is that I think MLSE kind of looked at it and said, Hey, like if you, if you can't be all in, we, we, we need someone who's, who's, we need someone who's all in. And I kind of wonder if that factored into the decision. You know, some of the questions now, and uh, again, there's no answers to this at, at this point. And to your point, Brendan Shanahan's going to speak later on this afternoon at three. What time is that? Um, oh, three o'clock. Question, Eastern. Okay. 
three o'clock. Yeah, three o'clock Eastern. He's he's talking. So you know, one of the questions is, okay, if it's not Dubis, who becomes the general manager? And there'll be no shortage of candidates. Uh, one would assume to choose from. And number two, what does this mean for Austin Matthews in that negotiation? You know, we've talked a lot about how Matthews and his camp, uh, Judd Moldaver, um, you know, uh, very much. Uh, in lockstep with Kyle Dubas and have been for quite some time. Does that now put an Austin Matthews contract in jeopardy? Again, I'm just sort of doing this off the top of my head, but those seem to be the two big issues now that Dubas will not return as general manager of the Maple Leafs. What are you wondering about through all of this? Well, I think think Matthews is the big one because all the dominoes fall from there, right? Like, that's the biggest piece of your salary cap puzzle and your roster puzzle. Like, we're all talking about, like, okay, are they going to re-sign Nylander? Are they going to trade Marner? Are they going to re-sign Shannon? Are they going to move people around the or, uh, around the roster? It all flows from Matthews. You know, Matthews' decision on will he sign, will he sign, that is the number one off-season thing that the Leafs have to deal with. And, you know, I believe that through the state, he knew them. He knew them. He trusted them. He trusted his plan. I believed it was more likely than not that he was going to stay. Now, I'm not going to say it's unlikely because I think that's wrong. But what I think is now you have to get Matthews reintroduced to someone. You have to explain what the plan is. And I'm really curious to see what that's going to mean. Like, in any way, is that going to change what Matthews thinks? And I think it's too soon to have the answer. I mean, the other big question, Jeff, is Keith, and you know what? Yeah. You know what are they going to do here, coaching wise? All these questions. Um, there'll be no shortage of candidates as well um, for the uh, for the general manager position. And I would have to assume, like any team that's out there right now looking for a new manager, whether it's Calgary, uh, whether it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, they want to get this done now as soon as possible. Uh, the draft is next month, free agency. And for a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, who finally got over one significant hurdle, uh, they can't wait for a, a long speed bump here. They can't wait uh, at a long red light. They need to keep going here. I'm imagining that this needs to get, you know, the process of hiring another general manager needs to get going quickly here for each. Yeah, there, there's no question. They're going to get moving on this fast. And uh, I, I, I just think that, I, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if on some level, Jeff, they've been working on it already. Okay, so uh, more on this probably as the the show goes on, as the afternoon goes on. Again, if you're just joining us, the news of the day, Kyle uh, Dubas will not return as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, the Maple Leafs, um, in a press release, saying the club has decided to part ways with GM Kyle Dubas, whose contract expires on June 30th. He will not return as Toronto's general manager next season. Brendan Shanahan will speak at 3 o'clock Eastern, so we'll get more details then. Uh, the big story going back to last night was sleepy, sleepy, sleepy. Um, the sixth longest game uh, in the history of the NHL, four overtimes, and we almost got into a fifth. And the big story coming out of it, outside of you know that overtime winner by Matthew Kachuk, uh, I don't know if you want to call him uh, Vesna Bob or Columbus Bob or Ian Clark Bob or just Goalie Bob, but Bobrovsky Elliott, if you had any doubts, is very much back. 
the Elliot Friedman of goaltending, Bob. That's the way I prefer to. Uh, oh my goodness! Oh my god! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, if, if that was true, he'd be letting in seventy footers. Um, look, like uh, <laughs> you, you know, it's amazing, Jeff. Like it, it really is. Like the first thing I thought of would after the game, and, and Kevin Woodley was another guy who was talking about it was. Like, I wonder if this now puts Alex Ryan and Antti Vanta into the series. They, the, the goalies just had a lot of rest. The teams did, obviously, too. Yeah. But this is a schedule where it's back-to-back. Game, day off, game, day off, like, all the way through. There's none of this longer rest here. And this is going to be a long-grinding series. So the first thing I thought of was, we're going to see the other goalies in this series. But, look, Bobrovsky's been amazing. And, um, you know, he's... You know, he's, he's done an incredible job. And I think a lot of us, like, you know, how many years have we been saying terrible contract, terrible contract, one of the worst contracts in the NHL? Like, yeah. you know, all is yeah. forgiven right now. All is forgiven. Yeah. He's, he's worth the money. Remember that? Oh, they've got they've got Spencer Knight, and we all know that Spencer Knight is, is dealing with his his, his own issues. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we all raised our eyebrows when they drafted him in the first round, and we said, "Okay, what does this mean long term now for Sergei Bobrovsky?" And you're right, we looked at that deal and said, "Oof, albatross! That one handcuffs Bill Zito here." You're right, all is forgiven. He's taken them to places. Uh, I think they hoped that they were going last season. Anyhow, they got there this year. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Elliot, he's earned that money. Like, forget about those other seasons. He's earned that money with this performance. Yeah, he uh, he has. I mean, like, like I always look at sal- uh, contracts in terms of salaries, right? Like, in terms of, like, it's not yeah. only the money that they pay you, it's the money you earn for them. And, you, you know, like, if you take a look, what, what's this revenue going to be worth for the Florida Panthers? And what's this going to do for ticket sales for the Florida Panthers? What's this going to do for interest in the Florida Panthers? And because he's such a driving force of it, uh, so that's kind of the way I've always looked at things. It's not necessarily how much you're paying the guy, but how much he's creating for you. And right now, Bobrovsky's creating a lot for them. Um, outside of the Bobrovsky show, which was last night, was there, was there, was there, were there many things that you took away from this first encounter between these two teams? I mean, I think one of the things that jumped out to people was, you know, just how just how close in talent both these squads are, and we should probably yes. settle in for a really long series. Um, Montour stood out. I thought that Gudis, in his way, um, yeah. stood out as well. What, what, did, what did you take? Oh, you know, actually, you know what was really interesting to me? And again, I may have... I, I may be cloudy on this one because, you know, I'm watching this with very much tired eyes as the rest of us are as overtimes continue to pile up. But, you know, normally when you have overtimes that go this long, and Kelly Rudy would be a great authority to talk about this with the playing in the Easter Epic, him, you know, Rudy versus Mason, Allenders versus Capitals. I, were, you, were you not kind of surprised that although we had, like, a lot of fatigued hockey players, we didn't get a ton of huge mistakes and normally when hockey players are tired, that's when you get the big mistakes that turn into the, the big turnover and the big change of momentum and the, the big scoring chances here. And maybe this is just two teams that are really married and completely faithful to their systems uh, that they play. But I was kind of surprised that we didn't see, to be blunt, sloppier hockey, by the way, uh, by the end. I thought we did. I thought in overtime there was. Now, you know, you find sloppy hockey beautiful. 
Jeff. So I do. Like I'm not. I'm not surprised. I I thought the game really broke down a lot of ways. Um, uh, but the one thing I really thought, and, and Kevin was the one who pointed it out, and then I really started to notice it later. Um, you know, I hate to give Kevin a compliment, but it's true. We know that Carolina is a board team. They win the battles on the boards, and that creates opportunity for them. Yeah. Um, Florida really has game plan for that. They they are they are working Carolina hard on the boards. And I know it's only game one or game one and one A of seven, but Florida seems to have a plan for that. So we'll see how that goes as the series continues. And I think it's really hard, uh, Jeff, not to mention this game without giving some credit to the Carolina fans who stood uh, most of the game. That's a long time to stand. Like. Yeah. Chris Cuthbert said it by the, the the last overtime. It was about two thirds full, and I get that people have to work. I like I would just skip work and get fired, but like I realize that not everybody can do that. <laughs> um, you know, people have yeah. to work. Young kids have to go to school the next day, but two thirds of a crowd standing on their feet at the end of that game—that's pretty good. Uh, I thought that was awesome. Uh, other end of the rink is much to be made of of, uh, of Sergey Bobrovsky. Your thoughts on Freddie Anderson, um, whose glove looked great uh, in that one last night? Um, yes, it, it sure did. I mean, the amazing thing to me about Bobrovsky is he had a couple of game savers in overtime there, where the puck kind of got deflected or went against the flow of play. Like for example, the one where Nason had to go pick up a stick in the corner. And then ended up in front of the net all alone. There were a couple other ones like that. And he made the saves. Like, both those goalies were really dialed in. Uh, Bobrovsky's been excellent, Jeff. There's no other way to say it. Great first game. And, you know, to be honest, I don't think that's the yeah. last overtime we're going to see in that series. I just don't know if I'm ready for no, I don't... Six, six more of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. What did you think of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, of the, the Lomberg goal called off? I thought that was the right call because White went into the crease by himself. I think if if you go into the crease by – and I've shouted uh, this out before, but down goes Brown from The Athletic, has a great piece on yeah. goaltender interference. He really did the work on it. And uh, the one thing that he uh, – and, like, I've looked at his work and kind of compared it to what's happened in games since I first read it. And the one thing he's right about is that if you go into the blue paint yourself, 99.9% yeah. of the time, you're going to lose that challenge. Whenever I see it, there's one word that I think of. Whenever I see a, a player skate into the blue ice on his own volition, the word that I think about is liability. Your yes. liability goes up about a million percent. You're skating on white ice, your mm-hmm. liability is low. You're skating on blue ice, your liability is high. And that's what I would always... Whenever I talk about goalie interference and everyone says, oh, they're just throwing darts and making it up as they go, like, to your point and to, to, to McIndoe's point at The Athletic, like, there are, some, there are some keys here that I think everybody needs to look at, and it does give you a much clearer vision on what goalie interference is. I mean, I still think goalie interference is still an interpretation. Right. This this is still not puck over glass. I think everybody thought that you know when it went, when it went to to review that goalie interference was going to be as simple as puck over glass or pixel by pixel offside challenge. This is still a judgment call, but there are some clues that'll let you let you sleep at night and not get angry about goals or pucks being taken out of nets uh, and, and 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 subsequent faceoffs. Um, what do you make tonight? Okay. Dallas Stars, well, one one second. I'm not okay. going to tell you how to. I'm not going to tell you how to do your show, but I'm going to tell you how to do your show. 
Um, okay, Professor uh, Elliot. Uh, uh, so Logan Cooley just announced through the University of Minnesota that he is returning for his yeah. uh, sophomore season. Um, so our pod yeah. got delayed today uh, because of this dubious news, but there's something in there. Let's talk about it on your show, and it involves Clayton Keller. So Clayton Keller sure. had a meeting Let's yesterday uh, with the Arizona Coyotes, and um, from what I understand, that, now I want to make this very clear. There is no trade request here. But I think what Keller did say is that he wants direction and reasonably quickly on the future of the franchise on and off the ice. Now, on the ice, I think it's pretty easy. I think the, the, the Coyotes, I think this year they overachieved. They played harder and did better than a lot of us expected. And yeah. I think that is their plan. They have two picks in the top 12. You know, it's, it's a setback for them that Cooley's not coming out, but he's a really good prospect. Um, you know, their, their goal is not to go backwards on the ice. No matter what's happening with the future of the franchise, the, the hockey department has to continue doing what it was doing, and their goal is to continue improving. They have no desire to go backwards. So I think Kel- Keller will yeah. kind of get that. But the off-ice thing, we don't know yet. And I just think it's something to monitor. Like if in the next month or two, you know, Keller isn't sure about this, it's something to keep an eye out about because um, his, like, I think he wants to know. Like, he's, he had a really good year last year. He's given a lot to the Coyotes. I think the players are really disappointed about the outcome of the referenda. And, you know, I, I think he wants a clear idea of where they're going. So I want to stress that I don't think there's a trade request right now, but I think he's kind of put them on notice that he wants some clarity uh, in the next little while. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll move this up one step further if I can here. I think what he's looking for is not unlike what a lot of other people, um, a lot of other players in that organization are looking for or prospects who are poised to join uh, the Arizona Coyotes are looking for. In this you know, most recent case, Logan Cooley, who has said, I'm just going to pause here and, and you know, peace out and go back to University of Minnesota. I think what everyone's looking here, looking for here is stability. And is stability going to come? Like this doesn't bit benefit any player to have this organization ping pong balled all over the place, um, or play in a lame duck situation where you know the team is moving next year, two years, and you got to play a couple of lame duck seasons at Mullet Arena. I think more than anything else, and especially if you're Clayton Keller, who's coming off the season that he just had, which was miraculous considering the injury last season, he's saying to himself. Why am I giving my prime years to an organization that is as unstable right now as this one? There's I another person exactly that it. I wonder about here. I there's there's a there's another person, Elliot, that I wonder about here, and we haven't talked a lot about him, um, which is strange considering how he's so tightly associated with the organization. Uh, and was very much a, a big part of, of trying, to, trying to get this referendum to swing in the Coyotes' way, and that's Shane Doan. Like, I think we're all waiting somewhere down the road for Shane Doan to work as a manager, an assistant general manager, somewhere in, in some organization. I have no answers to this. All I have is 
speculation or questions. And I just want to kind of put it out there that I think one of the people we should be watching here as well has been someone who's always fought for Arizona, but now we're in a place where I, I kind of feel like everything's on the table for everyone. Are you having the same type of questions or do you wonder the same for the future of Shane Doan in Arizona? Yeah, I, I, I wonder about all these things. I mean, you know, there's nobody who's cared more about that hockey team than him. Uh, I, I remember there was one time when uh, like he was debating whether or not to leave the Coyotes and like he was deciding between some teams. I think the Canucks were in. I think the Rangers were in. And I called someone and they said to me, look, Elliot, Shane Doan is never leaving Arizona. He said, never, ever, ever, ever. Like, nobody, like he said, there's nobody in the state of Arizona, nobody on earth who likes hockey more in Arizona more than Shane Doan does. So, I mean, the tough thing, like, you know, I, it's, I'm kind of happy you brought this up because you look like his son played at Arizona State, and, you know, now he's signed with the Coyotes. Um you take a look at it, Jeff, like you think of all the really good uh, uh, local hockey they've done there. They've done a really good job. Like, you know, like, it, like so there are people who totally. think it's really hilarious that, you know, the, the great one of the great players in Toronto Maple Leafs history is an Arizona guy. And now Matthew Nyes is an Arizona guy. Like, you know, without, without Austin Matthews, like, you know, the – you know, how much does the Leafs' future change really in 2016? And, uh, or seven? Yes. So, I mean, and also, like, for example, this weekend they have a, they have a a tournament for special needs children. Somebody was sending it to me. Like, they've done a lot of good work building hockey in that market and not having a team in your fifth largest U.S. market, I think, which is what it is, it's not a good thing. Like, it really isn't. Uh, I'm with you. All the um, the youth hockey on both the boys and the girls' sides um, that everyone there has worked so hard on. Like, how many times have we heard, you know, how you know there's there's a plan for more rinks. The the demand is there. Ice time is really expensive because they don't have enough rinks, but the appetite for hockey is so big that they need to make more rinks and and crank them out as uh, as quick as possible. I think our hearts break for all those kids. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I as a, as a as a kid. It, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to a couple of people who have, you know, uh, who is, as kids, you know, whether they're Winnipeg Jets fans who had their team leave, uh, Hartford Whalers, etc. Et um, when I was a kid, I remember when the Toronto Toros left to go to Birmingham. And as much as I was a kid watching the Maple Leafs and I watched, you know, the Marlboros Junior Hockey, I loved the Toros. And when they left, I was crushed. Elliot, yeah. you know, just think about Montreal Expos fans once upon a time, too. And I know everybody wants to play whack the pinata when it comes to the Arizona Coyotes and, and think, you know, uh, without giving thought to who this actually affects and how profoundly. Um, I, I think that a big part of this conversation is exactly what you talk about. It's the the development of someone like Austin Matthew, the Matthew Nyes, or other kids that just want to play hot. I'll throw another one out at you. Jake DeBrusque. Jake DeBrusque as a kid played when, when Louis was playing there. That's where Jake DeBrusque played hockey as a, as a kid. As a matter of fact, he played on a team with Austin Matthews. And here's another one. Claude Lemieux's son, Brendan Lemieux, played in Arizona. Those were the three stars right. on that team. It was it Austin Matthews, Jake DeBrusque, and, and Brendan Lemieux. Um, there is, as much as you know, a lot of people 
want to make fun at it and 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 poke holes in it there is a history of hockey in arizona it is an important market and the people that i think about right away i'm glad you mentioned it are those youth hockey programs boys and girls watching their franchise leave is crushing yeah. Now I understand that there's a business side to all of this, and everyone's got to put on their 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 adult pants when it comes to these decisions. But go explain that to a seven year old, you know, who uh, who goes to four or five games a year. You know, go explain that to someone who loves Clayton Keller in mm-hmm. uh, in, in Arizona. Like it's 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 messy. It's ugly. Um, it's it's real hard, and those are the people that we should be thinking of as well when we just flippantly say, ah, just move it to Houston. Or ah, you know what? Uh, just uh, you know, uh, full full steam ahead on Salt Lake City. It's not that easy, Fridge. It's not that easy. No, it's not that easy. You know, I think you know, what, Jeff. They, they could move to Quebec City pretty easily, but I think we know that that's not on the radar, unfortunately. I do not think that is going to happen anytime soon, if at all. Um, okay, real quick. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights, Dallas Stars, uh, Peter DeBoer. Back in Vegas, Bruce Cassidy in Vegas. You know, as you and I talked about uh, of, of a couple of months ago, you know, if um, if Andrei Svechnikov doesn't hit Hampus Lindholm in the playoffs and knock him out, you know, maybe Bruce Cassidy is still coaching the Boston Bruins and probably Jim Montgomery is coaching the, the Vegas Golden Knights. Pete DeBoer is still in Dallas, uh, but how different one event, you know, butterfly flaps its wings. And now all of a sudden we have Bruce Cassidy versus Peter DeBoer. And DeBoer returns to Vegas. We made a lot yesterday of coach versus coach. Should we do the same with this matchup, Elliot? Look, like, uh, you know, I only know about myself, Jeff. And if I was Peter DeBoer, I'd want to crush Vegas. Anybody that fired me, um, I would want to, (laughs) uh, like, I would want to beat them. Or anyone who didn't hire me, like, I would want to beat them. And, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's perfectly normal behavior. Now, I, I think when you have a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final, like you have two coaches here who've never won the cup before. As a matter of fact, you've got four. Um, you've got yeah. two coaches here who've never won the cup in this series. Um, you know, that's usually enough. Like it's the chance to go play for the Stanley Cup. Like I remember Bruce Cass in the 2019 uh, final. He, at one point, he, made, he had a line like, I. Like, uh, I just want to get my name on that damn cup. Like, that's what they want. So even without, like, the, yep. the whole thing about DeBoer coaching against his former team, there's enough of a reason to win. Because if you win, you go into the final with a chance to play seven games for the ultimate prize. So I think that's enough as it is. I think these are two really good coaches. I think it's really interesting that mm-hmm. Vegas is going to play against the style they played last year. And, you know, it's very clear if you listen to Cassidy and you listen to Jonathan Marshall in game six, that they had ways that they felt they could attack Edmonton. So, they, obviously, Vegas, they're a high IQ team, and they're going to have ways that they think they can attack Dallas. So I'm curious to see it. We'll be tuned in tonight. It is uh, game one between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars. Uh, 8.30 is when the puck drops. Pre-game show gets underway at 8 o'clock. Watch it on CBC and Sportsnet. Okay, so uh, you're going to have a really nice, quiet afternoon. Elliot, nice, relaxing. Go for a long walk. Maybe put your phone away. Uh, or uh, yeah. continue to chase the Toronto Maple Leaf story. If you, if you missed it off the top of the show, Kyle Dubas uh, will not return as general manager. 
of the Maple Leafs. More on this story as the show progresses. Uh, Luke Fox is going to join me in hour two to go over it a little bit more. All right. Thanks, Fridge. Uh, happy hunting. Happy hunting. All right. Thanks very much, Jeff. Take care. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.